Hey Laurie. Hey Phil. How's it going? It's all right, Phil. I'm I'm a little bit on the sleepy side. I have to admit, I've had a tickly cough that has kept me up during the night. Oh, poor Laurie. I'm fairly sluggish, but you know, doing the podcast always gives me that little jet boost of energy. Jet it's boost. Like pressing a turbo button. Should we press the turbo button right now? Then ready. Nitro. <laughs> uh, how are you, Phil? Oh yeah, I'm great. 100 fantastic. Good. Good times for a good podcast. Yes. <laughs> Which episode is this? Which episode? Season two, episode twelve. I believe it is. Great. Uh, this week, we are going to be looking at Hidden Figures. Laurie's gone to see the Oscar-nominated film. Uh, it's nominated on... for Best Picture. It's nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Supporting Actress for Octavia Spencer. That is a triple threat Oscar nom. Mm. And based on a true story? Yes, based on real events, yes. Ooh. I've gone to see a slightly less true story, Lego Batman, the movie. <laughs> uh, Will Arnett, is he back? As he the is voice? back from the Lego movie. He has come and now here's a, a full-fledged spin-off. Uh, in the Batman universe. Nicely done. And I also caught The Space Between Us this morning, a strange teen romance drama coming-of-age story about a, a young boy born on Mars, basically. Is that the one with Asa Butterface or whatever? Asa Butterfield. How very disrespectful, Phil. Yeah, he was last seen in Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, yeah. Which you saw, didn't you? Yeah, I did, and I thought it was all right, yeah. So those are the films we've got lined up. Kind of a, a weird mix of different types of things, isn't it? Well, it feels like a bit of a breather this week, Phil, because we had another four-film bonanza last week with Benedict Tin as well. And just Oscar season listeners is busy, busy, busy. Lots Relentless. of film chit-chat. Mm. So it feels nice to take a bit of a breath this week. And so other things we're doing are kind of silly, aren't they? Yeah, we just have a bit of fun, I think. We're going to have one little segment, which is very silly, listeners. Uh, we'll have your emails and tweets towards the end of the episode. And that's it, I think, yeah? Yeah, short but sweet. Oh, there so we go. sweet. Please do check us out on patreon.com forward slash Bros to see how you can support the show and keep your rewards categories coming in. We're nearly towards the end of canvassing for the categories. What we should do, though, Phil, is read them out and accept nominations, don't you think? That's, that's what I was going to... Yeah, mm, yeah, we need to finalise uh, what awards we are going to do, Pick our cherry-pick our favourites, and then we'll start taking in nominations, I think. So should we be doing that now, though? Because, you know, otherwise it's going to be a few more weeks. Are we going to say, promise, promise that we're going to do that, and then uh, maybe do it? Okay, so let's do that next week. Yes, next, next week. Next week we are going to read out the categories, so it is your very last chance to suggest a random category that won't be in the Oscars or any other awards ceremonies this year and say, you know, why? And then look forward to the big results show. Oh, it's going to be a humdinger. Phil. Oh, yes, humdig. You betcha. All right, you ready to get going? Yes, let's do this. Let's hit that jet boost. Boop. Blast off. <laughs> All right, Phil, can we cue the joke intro? Okay, hold on, lights. No, no, hold on, hold on. Okay, take one. Cue, go joke. Lego, 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 Batman, Batman, Lego, Lego, yeah. I'm just nodding my head. Do you know, that always makes me think of a piano lesson I had. I gave up piano listeners in grade three because I just wasn't loving it enough. I regret that very much. I was a young man. If I only had carried on, you might be seeing me, instead of doing this podcast, you could have seen me... At, I don't know, the Royal Albert Hall or something, leading a concerto. But as it was, I couldn't play that theme on the piano. I really struggled because on your left hand, you have to go dun 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 And then your right hand, you have to go Batman. If you try and do it together, you end up going Batman. It's okay. That's not making the final. Why? There's no way that's going to get in. You're going to edit that out. No, you're going to cut that out because it's got nothing to do with this film. Now, Phil. Lego films are a thing. They're really starting to happen. I think this all kicked off with the Lego Star Wars video games. Do you remember those? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very successful. And it was just weird that this toy Lego thing suddenly created a whole dimension of entertainment. Uh, it's really true. I think it, it's just something different, isn't it? What's interesting about the Lego films and, as you say, the Lego games is I think the thing which set them apart as why they worked and why they were fun and why people enjoyed them is the sense of humour. There's a, always a, a, a slightly irreverent silliness to yeah. these games and that's been transferred into the movies and now into this film. And I think, actually, the Lego the reason why the Lego films are working and why they're, they're producing them all is because it's kind of carved out this little bizarre niche and they've somehow managed to meld that or click together two different blocks I hear what you're saying uh, of uh, this sense of humour with this product and this aesthetic and it's made this film Lego Batman I'll bet you it has not hurt their block sales either no and I bet there's going to be a few toys off of the back of this film as well so Lego Batman is uh, taking the character of Batman from the Lego movie uh, played by Will Arnett that's right Arrested Development Blades of Glory yep he is the voice of Batman, and they've taken that characterization, even though it was kind of a bit of a bizarre world in that movie, and they've put him into the Batman universe, the Batman world, where he is just Batman, and it's a very much a sort of a Lego version of the Batman universe. It's not Lego Batman in the Lego world, it's Lego Batman in the Batman world. Okay, so no crossover to the Lego movie then? Well... Not quite, not okay, quite. Okay. Uh, I'm going to introduce the plot first of all, so you can get we can get going with the movie review. So we meet uh, Lego Batman. <laughs> I got. I'll just call Batman. <laughs> we meet Batman, and he's doing his Batman thing. He's saving the day. He's a, he's a hero. He's a loner. He's a bit growly. He's a bit grouchy, and uh, he is doing his classic thing where he's fighting the Joker. He's stopping one of Joker's big old bombs that always come up, and uh, then. Then there's a little bit of an interaction between Joker and Batman where they have their usual sort of tussle and say, I'm your greatest enemy, you'll never beat me, you yeah, need yeah. me, Batman. And Batman, for whatever reason, because he's such a loner, he doesn't even need Joker and he won't even acknowledge that Joker has a special place in his life. He's just so alone and cool and a lone wolf or a lone bat or whatever. And actually, we've got a clip of this moment, this bit, when uh, this, this all kind of kicks off. I got you. Oh, yeah? Well, there's only one problem. Who's going to defuse the bomb? It's got to be one or the other, Batman. Save the city or catch your greatest enemy. You can't do both. I'm sorry, what did you just say? You can't do both, I said. No, I mean the other thing. Save the city or catch your greatest enemy. You think you're my greatest enemy? Yes! You're obsessed with me. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are! Who else drives you to one-up them the way that I do? Bane. No, he doesn't. Superman. Superman's not a bad guy. Then I'd say that I don't currently have a bad guy. I am fighting a few different people. What? I like to fight around. Oh, it's a shame that people can't see the faces on the Lego people there. Well, it's fantastic. Joker's got a fantastic face. He looks utterly heartbroken as Batman says that he's not his uh, his main villain. And this, in fact, sets in, in motion the whole sort of plot of the movie. Joker comes up with a, a scheme. He realizes that if if he's not if he means nothing to Batman, well, what's the point? Why 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 does he keep on fighting him? And so the Joker turns himself in and turns in all of Batman's villains. And suddenly, Batman, the crime fighting hero. He doesn't have any. He doesn't have anything in his life. Nah. He's alone, and uh, he's just stuck in his mansion, wondering what his life is like now. It's it's a, such a bizarre film. I can't really give a summarizing of the plot properly because it's so weird and bizarre and kind of zany and out there that it's kind of hard to really describe. I mean, it's hard to describe what the the look of a Lego film is if you haven't ever seen a Lego film. Yeah, that's true. 
And it looks beautiful. I thought this film looked incredible. There's a real style and fun about these little Lego blocks being used to animate this film. And there's some really good bits of lighting in it. I thought the lighting in this film is incredible. So the whole film looks gorgeous, but it's so hard to describe and convey why. Well, before we get to that, I'm curious about the plot because you can't give us, as you say, that much detail because it's so odd. But does it at least have quite a coherent plot line? Like you, you, you're with it, you're engaged in the stakes. Yeah, I think actually that's probably one of the best parts of the film is there is a bit of a story. You've got a really strong characterization to Batman. He's a sort of petulant child, a man child. Uh, who is just excited about things which are cool and he's yeah, so rad yeah. and he's all alone and he's watching Jerry Maguire by himself <laughs> in, his Lego big, Jerry in his big Batman cinema or whatever. <laughs> and uh, Alfred, his butler, played voiced by uh, Ralph Fiennes. Oh, wow. He's, uh, he's sort of constantly imploring his, uh, his master Wayne, please, please, you know, you need to have a family, you need to take care. This this isn't, you aren't really Batman, you're Bruce Wayne. Is there Lego Bruce Wayne as well or is it always as Batman? Well, so, I mean, the, the idea is that essentially Bruce Wayne isn't really who he is. It's Batman who is right, who right, he is. Right, right. So even when he, he, he reluctantly takes off his, his cowl, but it really he just wants to be Batman the whole time. And, uh, and they do, they introduce Robin, voiced by Michael Cera. Okay. So, uh, Arrested Development team up. Yeah, yeah George nice. Michael. He, he kind of mangles his way into being adopted by Bruce Wayne. And rather than sort of taking him under his wing, he sees it as an opportunity to, for him to use uh, Robin in a very particular heist in order to try and work out what is the Joker up to. Another character which I haven't mentioned, and I, again, I, I, apologies, listeners, I've, I've done a terrible job because this movie's all over the place, but in a good way. And so I'm all over the place, yeah, yeah, hopefully yeah. in a good way. It's a lovely way. Barbara Gordon is in this film as well. She replaces the police chief commissioner guy commissioner gordon yeah so it's replaced by barbara gordon uh, and she's a super competent woman who is all about the stats and says like well we need to work with batman and use statistics to to change crime in here and batman's not doing a good enough job against these villains uh really we need to we need to get rid of batman which batman obviously doesn't like but batman is also in love with barbara gordon he he thinks she's wonderful Uh. and the classic sort of cheesy (laughs) cheesy music plays in a haze as he sees her for the first time those those four people, Alfred, Robin, Barbara Gordon and Batman, those are the kind of heart of the movie. And this movie is essentially about Batman discovering a family, believe it or not. Ah. And I think what's great about this, and I really did laugh actually quite a lot in this movie, is the core ideas of the film are really strong. And actually, it's quite a very on-the-nose lampooning of Batman and superhero movies in general and darkness and all that sort of gritty realism. Oh, great. And it kind of underpins it. And really, Mickey some, takes it. I love Yeah, that. and in some ways sort of actually gives a better, more honest take on the, a, a Batman character. What would it be like to be Batman? Are there some, you know, to use a very trendy phrase, are there some real feels in there? Yeah, I think there are some genuine yeah, emotions okay. and family sort of feelings and themes and, you know, what it, it, what it means to, to have a family. Is it, is it being vulnerable? Is it exposing you to being hurt? And is that worth it? And all those sort of things. Well, so now we can go back to some of the look of things because it's interesting you mentioned about how lovely you think it looks and the lighting and the general visual style of a Lego movie. For me, the two things that make me nervous about a Lego Batman film are the two things I liked the least about the original Lego movie. And you're going to disagree with me straight away because one of the things I've, I really didn't like that much was the look of it. I thought the animation was extraordinary and I still can't quite figure out how they did it. But one of the strange things about filming Lego figures is their proportions are not uh, equivalent to that of real people. They've got giant heads and they've got strangely stocky 
disproportionate bodies. And what that does to the frame is it means when they have to do close-ups and they try and film it like they're filming real people. And it give, and because the depth is so shallow in real terms, because the character's head is so large, all the proportions are off. And it feels like it's an assault to me. It feels what, like too close to... Yeah, too close, too much going on, too claustrophobic. Uh, and then the same goes for the lighting as well, because presumably a lot of it is interior set design. There's a lot of shine on stuff. So it's just high contrast. It's, it's high death stuff, but it's too in my face. Did it feel like that? That's an interesting take. I, I didn't really cross my mind at all, I'll be honest. I thought the the set designs and the kind of world building and the expanse of the story, they go really sort of to big sort of skyscraper levels of movement and things. I just thought it was great. It, it really doesn't, it doesn't ever feel limited by the, the Lego-ness of it. And the Lego-ness always just seems to make it, it gives it an excuse to be silly and be mocking and 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 I, it's almost like the south park thing i think i've said this before on podcasts you know south park gets away with doing stuff because it's a little yeah, yeah, yeah. little tiny little figures lego gets away with doing stuff because it is tiny little figures and things and so i think i, I mean maybe there is that sense of busyness and claustrophobia it's very close everything's very yeah, cramped yeah, I but think. i that's not my feeling of it. i can imagine some people might feel that way but for me personally i loved it okay well that sounds good but then this leads me on to the second thing that i didn't like about the original lego movie and I don't know, I probably saw it in a bad mood, but I found the humour slightly grating. It was uh, like every other line was a gag. And occasionally they weren't very good gags. They were just gags. Tell, uh, me, tell me it's better this time around. No, I'm not going to say that because okay. humour is very subjective, isn't it? That's true. I laughed a lot and I was flanked by, well, our dad, which is yep. fun. And then a lady who I didn't know, but completely unrelated. And she was with her little son. They were all, both sides of me were cracking up a lot. Really? Okay. The parents were. The kids, not so much. Really? I think, the, the weird thing about this film is the fact that the humour that they're going for, I think, is quite an adult humour, a kind of playing on uh, wordplay and characterization, and less about sort of silly gags. But I found it very funny. I laughed quite a few times at just little moments that play out well. But, I mean, you, and it's still a warning bell is going off in my head, because does that mean there are loads of meta jokes that are all to do with references and breaking down walls a la Deadpool? Question mark, big question mark. <laughs> Deadpool is an interesting <laughs> film to com- compare to. And I think I remember saying this after the, after the screening, I said to the person I was with, our dad and, and mum, it was funny because it, it was ringing the same sort of bells as Deadpool. Mm, uh, but actually uh, I feel like it's, it's genuinely quite brave, the sort of decisions they make. Uh, and they, they really don't go for easy jokes. I don't think, I think they go for very particular types of jokes, which I, I'm surprised I went for because and presumably any sort of Lego movie is going to be aimed at young children, those, those ones who are going to enjoy it most. I actually think probably the people who are going to enjoy this most are sort of the uh, older people because they can see the sort of uh, some of the gags. And you see, the- now, I think that's interesting because I thought as soon as I saw any trailers and the mere fact that it existed, I thought the, this is not aimed at children. I think this is aimed squarely at comic book uh, people with a sense of nostalgia and retro and they want they want to feel like big kids and the thing is kids will just come along because it's lego full stop mm, i mean yeah maybe that is what's happening uh, one joke which i thought <laughs> which i really loved was when they they mentioned all the other batman films and okay. they do little lego versions of the oh, other that's batman great. films that is, and that's, so, that's good. alfred says to bruce wayne he's like you know I've, I've seen what happens when you're like this before you remember in 1990 and it goes through like literally <laughs> all of them and then you had that very bizarre thing in 1960s and it does the adam west thing and it does all the christopher nolan batman films it just it knows exactly where it is well, and so it that is, is pretty meta it is meta yeah. But it doesn't feel annoying meta. That is a good version. Yeah. And I think okay. basically the only reason it's not annoying is because it's Lego Batman. The re- premise is ridiculous already. Fine, fine. And 
It knows it's silly, and it really goes to to the max on silliness. Well, but man, overall, it sounds like you absolutely loved it, and you're giving me a lot of confidence. I had some nerves, as I've expressed, but on yeah, you're making it sound good. And again, on your head, be it twice, <laughs> two things falling on your head. If I go and watch it, and I'm disappointed, so hmm. well, fine. If you're disappointed, I, I make no promises that everyone will love this film. Okay, I found this film funny. I'm surprised if kids would enjoy it that much. I think they might enjoy the colourfulness and silliness. But I think really the things which are going to be enjoyable are the jokes for the older people. Okay, what would your grade be? I, re- I really enjoyed it. I'm going to, I think I'm maybe, no, I'm going to say B+. Plus, B+. Took plus. you a little while, didn't it? Yeah, it was a, tr- a tricky movie to kind of pin okay, down. Okay, okay. And i probably done a horrible job, so I apologise. But hey-ho. <laughs> uh, any bonuses? I mean, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Like just any movie which has got Lego in it, it's kind of about selling toys, isn't it? Oh, did you? Okay, that was obvious, was it? There's a... There's a, a vehicle that I've never seen before called the Scuttler, the Batman Scuttler, and I guarantee you could buy that for seventy nine ninety nine. Seventy nine? You think they'll go that high? Oh, oh. Do you know how much Lego is? I know. I you know. haven't reached that stage yet with your daughter, but I guarantee you're going to be forking out a fortune. Hey, look, Phil, don't you talk down my daughter. She is pretty good with the big blocks. So Lego oh, is. She, 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 she knows how to deal away. with the duplo. <laughs> yeah. One last thing, and I, I forgot to say it. I really wouldn't surprise me if you see Lego Batman two. It wouldn't surprise me if you see Lego Harry Potter. It, like basically. If this is this humour can kind of exist and it does well in box offices, there's no reason why you wouldn't see more and more franchises. The thing is, and I'm, what's interesting yeah. is the number of characters that appear in this film. It shows you how well Lego has done in getting the licenses to make these toys. Here's my little analogy for you that's literally just sprang into my head. You ready for this film? Yep. You know the serial Lucky Charms. In which you get marshmallows in the shape of various other things. Yeah, yeah. Let's say there was a box of Lucky Charms and they did marshmallows in the shape of strawberries, in the shape of uh, uh, apples, that kind of thing. They had an apple flavoured marshmallow. That's delicious and it reminds you of apple. But if you have too many of those marshmallows that remind you of something else, that you're sickly sweet and you'll throw up all over the place. And I think if you have too much of this Lego stuff, too much of that meta referential humour that isn't the thing but is referencing the thing, it'll make you sick. Yeah, but that I, is I, my prediction. I think Batman, Batman in particular, really suits it because of the characterization they went for of him being a petulant man-child. Well, the thing is, and what's and funny, it goes against yeah. the grain of what Batman is in its current mold. Although, actually, the Lego are not original to that. The people who did this way before anyone else, years and years, and years ago, are those YouTube guys. How it should have ended. Yeah, they, they that, did that characterization long before Lego got to him. Well, that's what I w- was reminded of throughout the whole film. But I think why not? It felt like a bit of like a long YouTube video, but a really high production one. Oh, now that's uh, that's a quote that I will be locking away in my brain. Good stuff, Phil. You, I'm, I'm, make, I'm deliberately playing devil's advocate here because secretly I think it sounds awesome. Honestly. There you go. Do you know what a computer is, Phil? Uh, yeah, it's a big box. does lots of stuff. A big box? Is that what you're going with? Yeah, like it's big, what, what, what would you say a computer is? A computer is a complex series of circuit boards and uh, light-emitting diodes uh, and wires and things like that, Phil. That, big box. Uh, big box. Yeah, no, I don't know either. But did you know that the computer has its origins in people who used to compute things for a living? I mean, I'm saying that as if that's true. It's based on true, true th- facts. <laughs> These citrus aren't getting better, are they? No, but do you, that's the case. There, there were people who were amazingly talented. What, who were called computers? Yeah, at calculating things. And so they were a computer. 
because they're computed. Yeah. Can you get me a computer on this? Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. That's Didn't... how that used to go down. Oh, right. Again, I'm saying that I don't know whether that's really true, but it's based Sounds on true, true. <laughs> true facts. You're missing the thing that I'm doing here. Oh, you're doing alternate I'm facts. I'm doing a thing here. No, I'm saying it's based on real events. <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> Let's just move on. Listeners, I went to see Hidden Figures. As we said in the intro, this is an Oscar-nominated film, nominated for Best Picture, uh, along with Best Supporting Actress Octavia Spencer, who plays a supervisor called Dorothy in this film, and also Best Adapted Screenplay, because this is an adapted film from a non-fiction book by Margot Lee Shetterly. It made quite a stir because it was about an incredible story, right? This is about three African-American women in the 1960s who were incredibly talented, not just computers, but mathematicians and engineers. And they were working at NASA during the first waves of spaceflight. That is fantastic. You just think the 1960s, you know, maybe some people just think about free love or, you know, Woodstock, whatever else it is. It's also known as the major civil rights era in America, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Martin Luther King was active. So to hear about, you know, black women involved in that kind of pioneering science. The peak of science and engineering. It just sort of sounds unbelievable for that time period, doesn't it? And also women as well. Like Mm. that, Women still were kind of downtrodden, basically, at that point in time. All you need to do is watch a 1970s James Bond film to pick that one up. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. And so what an incredible story. What an incredible part of reality and history. This film attempts to do that justice. Theodore Melfi is the director and what he does is uses three of these women, I think the book covers more of these incredible people, and uses them as more or less equal protagonists. You have Taraji P. Henson, who is Catherine Johnson, who is a very, very talented computer. She begins the film in the West Area Computers Bay, which is basically a segregated, uh, all-African-American women compound. Lots of people doing computing. She gets selected as someone who's brilliant to go and help the space task group when they start to calculate amazing things like spacecraft having to come in from orbit to re-entry. And it was maths that no one had ever done before. Then you also have Janelle Monáe. Are you familiar with Janelle Monáe? Nope. She's a, a pop singer, Phil, and she's recently started acting. She's brilliant in this. She deserves to be in acting for sure. And she is playing Mary Jackson, who is a, well, a very famous engineer. She's involved in uh, getting the composition and the structure of that re-entry craft right. And she's on a specific team. Very, very talented, but not officially an engineer, because to be an engineer, you have to attend a whites-only study course. And of course, she cannot. So she's very, very talented, but not quite an engineer. And then the third woman is Octavia Spencer as Dorothy Vaughan, who is not a supervisor in title, but is doing the work of a supervisor over at West Area Computers. She runs all the women there and does the job. But in various ways, they're not quite where they should be based on their talents alone. So why don't we hear a clip uh, so you can pick up the tone of the movie. This is Catherine Johnson, Taraji P. Henson, just entering the space task group. They kind of do it in a little domey room where everyone's intensely working and it's almost all white males at the desks. There are a few white women in there as well. And then you've also got Kevin Costner, who's the director, this fictional guy, Al Harrison. So she's meeting him. She's about to be his computer doing these super, super important calculations. Here's their meeting. Ruth, what's the status on that computer? She's right behind you, Mr. Harrison. Does she handle analytic geometry? Absolutely. And she speaks. Yes, sir, I do. Which one? Both. Geometry and speaking. Ruth, uh, get me the... You think you can find me the Frenet frame for this data? Using the Gram-Schmidt... Orthogonalization algorithm? Yes, sir. 
I prefer it over Euclidean coordinates. Yeah, there you go. So it's ever so slightly on the nose dialogue, wouldn't you agree, Phil? Yeah, a little bit. Like, yeah. Hmm. I, think, I think especially you can hear it, listeners. They made the gag about, oh, and she speaks. Do you speak? And they said, yes, I speak. It was a slightly oddly written bit of dialogue, I mm. think. And, well, you know what? That sounds like I really didn't like the film. I actually did quite enjoy this movie, film. Did you? I was not expecting to like it. And do you remember last week you reviewed Loving mm. and your major criticism of that film was that there was a super commitment to the realism of the story because it was a real event. Yeah, I found it a little bit dull, even though it's not a dull story, but life is kind of dull sometimes. And so they showed it as a bit dull. Well, yeah. And this is just what's interesting about Hidden Figures, because, you know, doing maths, I'm probably going to get it in the neck from a few maths teachers here, Phil. Mm. But maths on its own is not very exciting. And this film is all oh, about <laughs> various yeah. kinds of maths. That's, that's the reality of these women. They were amazingly gifted and successful. I mean, they worked at NASA. That is just phenomenal, isn't it? They mm. needed the best brains in the country. And so they had to go over the race boundaries and the gender boundaries of the time to find the best people. And they got on with the job. But probably that reality resulted in them sitting down at a desk and doing maths. <laughs> and that's not very cinematic, is it? And it's funny because that is the thing that just kept pounding me over and over and over again in this film. Because what is really, really annoying is that all the bits of drama and the sort of high moments and the heat moments of the film, almost none of them are to do with the science. Almost none of them are to do with space. None of them are to do with the reality of the story. And almost all of them are to do with racial tension and prejudice. And what is even more frustrating is that it, it's widely known that it's all fictional, that stuff. So let me, and this is what's so irritating about it. So one example, and this has been spoken about a lot, is that Catherine Johnson starts to work in that little environment and she encounters prejudice, which I'm sure is true. She encounters day-to-day prejudice in her job. People don't respect her. They don't really want to do business with her. They make her uh, boil her water in a separate kettle that says Black Sony or something in it, mm. and terrible stuff. And then when she has to go to the toilet, she has to walk in the film over half a mile to the West Area Computer Building because that is the only building that has, in quotes here, big quotes listeners, remember the quotes, coloured bathrooms as they're called there's a big sign on the wall saying coloured bathrooms so she has to walk half a mile for a loo break and then half a mile back and this obviously does not endear her to her new boss because he just looks at a desk in the like, critical time for America and sees an empty desk he's like well where's that computer what's she doing all the time mm. and she's in the bathroom but she doesn't complain about it she just gets on with the job that's not actually the case What's amazing about this is that uh, the real Catherine Johnson has spoken and she said she felt that she was a peer uh, with all the people in that really? room. Really? Uh, and when she, she just used the toilets in that building without realising that they weren't, in quotes, coloured bathrooms. And then I think, I, and I am just remembering here, listeners, it's based on real events, <laughs> uh, that it's something like two years later, someone did say you shouldn't be using these bathrooms. And she said, oh, well, I'm just going to keep using them because I've got work to do. That's not really a film moment, is it? No, So no. how about instead you have a scene where they complain about it a lot, she gets on with it and bears up under the prejudice, and then there's a massive shouting confrontational speech about the whole thing. Which yeah, one do you think, think they chose in, for the film? Well, I think I've seen that bit in the trailer have you involving indeed? a crowbar and Kevin Costner, which I thought exactly. just looked way over the top. He looks so happy with himself oh. <laughs> when he gets that crowbar out. And, you know, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that when you're doing a film, because actually that probably really does represent the real prejudice pretty well. I don't doubt that that kind of situation really did exist in lots of spheres. And that's OK. It's OK. It's exactly what you said. It's the opposite of loving, isn't it? Yeah, loving needed that. a bit more.
bit more of dramatization and and more sort of evidence of what was going on to engage your emotions and get you to really care about these people mm. and think well this is just ridiculous and it's outrageous and it was and it is but it's just really annoying that and a uh, time and again that is the case stuff is just thrown in there fictional events are put in there to demonstrate the prejudice at the time and it just left me a bit cold and frustrated by the end of it because they don't even do it very originally. They just use well-worn cliches. There have been loads of films about this and they just borrow scenes and, and everything else that have been done before. But why didn't they just stick to the source material? Because I would much rather have seen a film in many ways about the fact that these women got employed by NASA. It's one. I think it's one of the biggest missed opportunities of... What's of that the, being the yeah, interesting exactly. it's, part? It's one of the biggest missed opportunities of this film that they don't include that part of it. And I, this might be true of the book. I haven't read the book yet. But the way it opens is you see some shots of Catherine as a young girl, really talented young girl. The parents have to make big sacrifices. It involves driving horrible distances and moving houses so that she can specifically register in a school that will carry on her education despite uh, her ethnicity. Can you mm. believe that? that, that mm. that's, that's really true. I think that is really true, yeah. That's amazing. Really interesting. And then it almost immediately jumps to them already being employed by NASA, Catherine and the other two women, and they get pulled over by a police car. And it's, and it's like, a funny well, why have you chopped out the, yeah. bit, the most interesting part of the movie? <laughs> like, with, with, you know, respect, I think the more interesting story is how these women succeeded. Literally, it is proven that they succeeded on their intellect and ability alone. They broke down racial barriers. They broke down gender barriers to get employed in like the most competitive, high profile, high tension place you can work in the world. That is a better story. Do you agree with me or not? <laughs> yeah, I do see that. But I guess especially when they have to fictionalize the story they tell to make it interesting. But I guess like from a from a selling the movie sort of point of view, a story about people just succeeding against sort of barriers and things like that, while it is true that would be more interesting, the whole space idea of the program and the trailers certainly seem to emphasize, oh, we need to if we don't yeah. sort this out, then somebody's gonna die, there's gonna be an astronaut who well, needs our and, help. You know, and- I think a lot of it has come from the fact that John Glenn, who is the astronaut who orbits the Earth and then comes back, and Katherine Johnson really did was massively involved in the calculations, doing really complex calculations that hadn't been done before. And there is a quote from him where he is he genuinely did say, Oh, can you get the girl to check the numbers? And he means Katherine Johnson. But it's almost like they took that one detail. And expanded a whole movie yeah. out of it. Wow, okay. And now this is where I want to flip it back the other way, because I really enjoyed the film. I think if you kind of let go of all that stuff, and I want to say it because I think it's important because what the film is trying to do and what the film's message is, you can't ignore that stuff. But as a film, it's quite enjoyable. Like that bit where Kevin Costner crowbars down a coloured bathroom sign, it's quite a fun little scene. There are some speeches that are fairly well written, there's some on-the-nose stuff, but the characterisation of the women is, is pretty strong. Octavia Spencer, well, she's, she's great in it. I, I didn't think it was a particularly Oscar-worthy performance. It was There are some similarities with her role here, the one that she did in The Help, which she won the Best Supporting Actress for uh, at the Oscars. And it's, she's got an, an extraordinarily expressive face, but the role is not demanding here. In fact, she has one of the more cliched roles. And then Janelle Monet, I thought, was super charming. She's great, man. I, it's amazing to me that she started out as a singer because I think she's got you extraordinary got- natural talent as an actress. She's got so much poise. And for all three of them, even Taraji P. Henson has kind of got the most dramatic role and she's the most sort of present in the film. But I, you know, I had eyes only for Janelle Monáe. Oh, right, okay. I thought she was great, yeah. And and her storyline is fascinating because she goes before a judge to plead her case to be allowed onto this course, all that kind of stuff. That one felt the most natural 
and most based in reality, yeah. What about uh, Dr. Sheldon Cooper from The Big Bang Theory? Oh, you're right, yeah. What's his name again? Jim Broadbent? No. <laughs> What's his name? Is uh, he Jim somebody? Jim... Jim Parsons, Phil. Yeah, so he is the guy who Catherine Johnson, Taraji P. Henson's character, works closely under. He's sort of the head scientist uh, in that field. And that's, there's, they have a fractious relationship. So even though she does a huge amount of work, whenever she types her name as a co-author of a report, he always takes her name off it before going into meetings. And you can tell he just doesn't like her. I actually thought he was really good. He didn't make me think of Sheldon. Whereas his other roles in like the Muppets and, and other things, I just mm. think, oh, you're just the big bang guy. In here, it's a bit of a shame that he's been hired to play another scientist, uh, but he's good. No, actually, I thought he was a highlight of the film, yeah. So it's got no chance, really, of uh, winning the Oscars? Or no, there's no I don't think there's not even a chance of it winning Best Picture. I, I can't see that. I think the, the production is very lavish, and it, it's shot quite nicely. There are fun things about it, like that opening scene I talked about when the three women, you just cut straight to them, they're working at NASA, their car breaks down on their way to work, and a police car drives up, and they're thinking, oh, no... Like, here we are in this kind of part of the country and he's going to be... And he right. is. And the policeman gets out and he's really suspicious. And then they show him their NASA passes and he kind of is blown away by it and says, well, they let women in there now, do they? And, and it's kind of, that's quite a fun little scene. It's quite well-directed. It's quite nicely scripted. There are lots of really good, well-packaged moments like that. Film that's great. The music's good. It's a good film. It's just not, it's not what it should be, I don't think. Yeah, this is this is a side comment, and then we'll get your grade. But do you think maybe the uh, best film category needs to go back down to five nominations? How many is it now? Is it something it's like ten? Eight? Is it's it ten, ten? I think it is, or even. And it, I I get the sense that this film is is on the bottom half of it, and that doesn't mean it's a bad film, but it just it doesn't really deserve the best film sort of tag. Yeah, perhaps you're right, Phil. It's a it's a bit annoying because you you don't want these things to become pure PR tools, although that is all that they ever have been, I suppose. But, I mean, obviously they've expanded it to 10 to give more films recognition. That's not necessarily a bad thing. If it means good films that would go under the radar get recognised. Because often an Oscar film is the sort of film you wouldn't go and see had it not been Oscar nominated. Like Manchester by the Sea, for example. Mm. You probably wouldn't have gone to see that unless you had heard that Casey Affleck's amazing in it and everything mm. else. So I think that that's a positive of it. But it depends what you, it depends what you want. Mm. What grade, Laurie? This one for me gets a. I kind of want to give a B half plus. <laughs> Cause, half plus. Because the thing is, it kind of feels. Well, that's more, quite low. It feels more of a B movie to me. I think it's just enjoyable, but it, it doesn't succeed in what it sets out to do, right? It's trying to. The tagline for the book is something like the incredible untold story of amazing women. And the reason why it's untold because it's not true. <laughs> well, exactly. I think I'd rather I'd rather actually hear that the story is still untold. Why didn't you just tell that story? <laughs> like, all they've done is tell you the names of some women who worked at NASA. And they make a film around it. Yeah, and sort of hinted at the details. I, like I said, I'd be way more interested to hear about how they got to where they were um, than a sort of contrived story uh, with fake drama about what happened when they were there. There you go. But it is a B plus, yeah. Any bonuses for Hidden Figures? Not really any bonuses, but I think when you see the mic drop, if I may say that correctly, Phil... The mic drop. Yeah, the mic drop moment in Taraji P. Henson's big bathroom speech. You know, I I think it's almost a challenge. I don't think there'll be that many people in the cinema who have the requisite emotion that that scene demands. You're supposed to, when she storms out, go, oh, oh my word, and react as Kevin Costner does, right? And immediately get a crowbar out and demolish something. I think, unfortunately, that is a really good example of the artifice of the film being laid bare. Here is an artificial moment, artificially constructed, artificially scripted, and therefore not compelling. So that's not really a bonus, but I'm interested to know if anyone sees the film, how they feel about that moment, yeah. 
Mm, okay, well, if you've got to see Hidden Figures and you would like to unhide your emotions and feelings <laughs> on that film, email us at superbaileybros nice at gmail.com. Really I'm saying slick. the email, they need, to hear, they need to hear this. Sorry, go ahead. Superbaileybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbaileybros and let us know your thoughts on Hidden Figures and also on Lego Batman. I didn't think we... Well, we've got another film to review, Phil. Come on, save it. Oh, save yeah, it. okay. Yeah, yeah. Phil, my memory's getting a bit shaky about our previous careers. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, what, what, what have you done? Well, fortunately, there's, you know, there's an online database in which we can remind ourselves of these Has things. Has it got our, our resumes on there? That's right. So, well, why not go to the Internet Movie Database and um, let's see what Phil Bailey and Laurie Bailey have achieved in the world of film. Does It'd be good to remind us of our achievements, yeah. Yeah, well, if you can give us a line or two about yours, because I've typed you in here and I can see you've done actually quite a lot of things. Phil. Have I? Yeah. Well, I mean, number one, you were the camera department for Am I Normal? Question mark, a 1979 documentary about male puberty. <laughs> That's what it says. Am I normal? A film about male puberty. How yeah, was your experience working on that film? That was great. You know, we had uh, we had uh, some brilliant doctors advising us on that. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and um, yeah, is it highly rated on uh, IMDb? Oh, well, I haven't got. I mean, I'm just looking at your overall, you know, resume here, Phil. Would you Would you like me to check? Yeah, please do. Six point nine out of ten. Uh, top user review, ten stars. Capital letters. Great special effects. <laughs> I didn't really get involved with the special effects but am I normal <laughs> the documentary on puberty <laughs> I can't even carry on <laughs> what special effects I don't know I really don't want to know okay let's carry on yeah I mean uh, what about when you acted in the 2005 film Smile Smile yeah who was in Smile again Tell remind me oh well you were in it of course you're second listed as dealer number two <laughs> Alongside Ian Atfield, who was dealer number one. I mean, that's, you know, we all remember that role, Phil. Oh, yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think I got a bit of critical buzz for that. Yeah, I'm sure. I, that's what I remember as well. There was a lot of talk about it in the papers. Well done for that. 2005 um, Smile film, yeah. That's correct, yeah. What, how about this? I mean, who can forget the 2013 film in which you were miscellaneous for Temple Run Oz. I think that might be a video game. Temple Run. Isn't that thing the game where you run? Was I in Temple Run? You were in Temple Run Oz, as in The Wizard of Oz. The Oz the, oh, the Oz version. Yeah, you were miscellaneous for that. Oh, brilliant. I, yeah, a lot of grunting. Have you forgotten that one? Is that what's happened? You know, I've had such a full career. A very what's, career. what's your career got in No, it? no, we need to stay with you for a little bit. Trust <laughs> okay. me. Well, what about one which, I mean, no one will have forgotten? Philip Bailey, soundtrack for The Goonies. What did you do in a soundtrack for The Goonies, man? The classic 1985 film starring Samwise Gamgee. <laughs> I, I, it's hard to say that the 80s were a blur for me oh right really okay big time for <laughs> I, you I've never actually seen the film so I don't even know what I did you just scored it. it without even seeing it I can't yeah. believe you okay well and uh, just a, another one here this is when you must have been in France because your surname was spelt B-A-I-L-I-E was that for sort of political purposes Bailey was that more you know mm. was that helpful to you in your career you know the French just love it when you spell it the right way I see what you're saying and again camera department you apprised your role after your fantastic at work on Am I Normal, a film about male puberty, for the film X More in 2014. X More. Tell mm. me, tell us a bit about X More. Well, you tell us, Phil. You were in the camera department. So this was a horror film, actually, and it was, uh, yeah, it was a £25,000 reward go, goes out, and it's all about this sort of monster on the moors in, yeah, yeah. in Devon. And, uh, well, yes. Is that why the film's called X More? Because, of course, it would be X More, the actual place, but it's spelled X-M-O-O-R. That's a very clever, Phil. Mm, That's quite mm, a pun. Very that, clever. Were you involved in the creation of the title? No, I was just cameraman. Oh, I see. Okay. Cold nights out on any, those. Any standout scenes? The ones with the monster. Yeah, I remember those. They were good. They were good. All right, well, should we check my career out as well? <laughs> yeah, let's check out Laurie <laughs> Bailey on IMDb. Well, I mean, you'll thank me for starting with you, Phil, because um, 
Laurie Bailey is not on IMDb. <laughs> oh, but no. there was a time, um, there's a, AKA Laurie Bailey, Lauren Bailey. <laughs> Lauren Bailey. What actress, did Lauren do? <laughs> when I was an actress in the film, the 1997 film Unleashed. Oh, right. What's Unleashed about? Oh, it's about... Well, the tagline is some pets should never be let loose. That's one of the, th- <laughs> one of the things I remember. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I was obviously flattered to be cast as a woman, not being a woman, but... Um, you were very convincing, though. That's AKA. what I remember, yeah. Yeah, my character was called Tawny, and, well, it was a tour de force. A lot of people, there was a lot of buzz about me um, from that point on. Uh, of course there was. But uh, sadly, I wasn't able to replicate um, that success. You were one and done. Well, that was my first one, and I've only been in eight other films since then. I mean, partly, Phil, I wasn't keen to keep being cast as an actress. Yeah. That's tough, isn't it? Hollywood's tough. Yeah, it certainly is. Didn't you have a bit in La La Land as one of the dancers? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, was, uh, I also sang in it as well. But they had to do quite a lot of CGI to, um, uh, to make me fit the scene better, so you wouldn't recognise me. Oh, that's a shame. But you probably hear my beautiful voice, yeah. Yeah. What is it they sing it? What are the words of the song again? To get up off the ground. Do you remember that voice from the Yeah, film? was that you? That was me. Oh, yeah. congratulations. So what's in the pipeline for Laurie Bailey on IMDb? Oh, well, a lot of things. I mean, a documentary film that I'm doing as well. Um, not about male puberty this time. <laughs> It'll probably be something to do with trees. Yeah. I mean, I'm not looking at what I can see and saying it. It's definitely going to be a documentary about trees, yeah. You just decided. Oak That's trees, right. hardwood? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's wrap Gates, this up. fences, that kind of thing. So there's our career listeners. <laughs> Thanks for joining us through this little magical look back at the past. This is so random. Is there life on Mars? Yeah, there is, yeah. In this film, there is. We actually used that same, not really a joke, but an ear-piercing screech when we reviewed the Martian film. Did we? So we're already reusing our stuff. Well, I, I can't remember it. No, none of our listeners were, I don't That's think. That's probably true. Listeners, I saw The Space Between Us. This is Asa Butterfield starring in an odd movie about a boy, the first ever boy to be born on Mars. So we're in Earth... Well, it's a shame, actually. It's set in 2018, which I think was a mistake. I don't know why they did that. Uh, well, but yeah, because there's, absolutely, there's, there's no reason for it, because they have the technology to launch an entire colony of humans to Mars, and having built a sort of completely hermetically sealed living station on Mars, they're going to go and colonise it, be the first people to live there, to experiment and see what it, what it means, you know? To live there for four years, I think it is. There's a crack team of astronauts and Gary Oldman's the space director, this guy Shepard. Uh, it's a press conference to start it off. They launch. It's terrific. Everyone, the media are totally behind them. The, the framing is very sort of postcardy in the early stages and it feels, you know, very sort of fantastical and fanfare And then on the flight to Mars, the lead astronaut is pregnant. She didn't realise it. For some reason, they didn't check it (laughs) before launch. And she's pregnant on the spaceship. And, you know, gestation and everything happens during the flight. And by the time she arrives, I think it's a seven-month flight or something, she's basically ready to pop. So almost the second scene in the movie is her giving birth on Mars. And because the astronauts are multi-talented, they've got a doctor there, you know, Everything goes ahead. Out comes Asa Butterfield. Exactly. Well, it comes out as a tiny boy. Hi, I'm your son. And I would like to say at this point, a little side note here, already tears, Phil. I mean, I'm about to, I'm about to be present in that scene in about a week. 
And so just seeing the tiny baby, uh, honestly, I, so there's my disclaimer, listeners, for how I feel about this film. I was already almost in tears. It's, it's so beautiful, man. Uh, it's a miracle of life. I'm not even joking. <laughs> you need to see Phil's face. Uh, uh, you got something in your eye? No, I've just got <laughs> cringy cheese in my eyes. But anyway, yeah, so the birth happens. And it's not a spoiler to say, listeners, not really. You know, tragedy immediately strikes. Um, the mum suffers from what I assume is preeclampsia. She goes rigid. She dies almost immediately after giving birth to the boy. Really, really sad. Now they've got a couple of problems, this sort of directorate team, because not only do they have a baby born on Mars, which they haven't told the press about, because the, the problem is, well, if we tell the press, then the baby becomes the priority, and then surely we'd have to turn the expedition back. But we can't do that, because the whole point is we're sending these people to live on Mars for four years, so we've got to carry on. And now it's like, well, but now the boy's been born there in secrecy, if he grows up on Mars, that is going to affect stuff like his bone density. That's going to uh, affect stuff like the way that his organs develop. He is a Martian. <laughs> He's not really, in a very real sense, an Earthling. He's not a human in quite the same way. That's an, you, you can see that, can't you? Yeah, I can see. I can see the logic. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fascinating. And so he grows up in secret in this Martian community around loads and loads of very intelligent astronauts teaching him the way of life and everything else. And understandably, as a teenager, he's a bit like, come on, man, <laughs> I want to live my own life. But uh, instead of dancing out his rage the way that Kevin Bacon might in, uh, in such a field, he jumps in like a Mars rover and does donuts <laughs> all around Mars's dusty surface. Like, in my head, I like to think he's trying to spell out swear words for someone on the Hubble telescope. <laughs> Or something like that. Um, but And there's kind of classic teeny stuff going on. But the the major thing is he, he's alone and he wants to experience Earth. He's heard so much about Earth from all the people around him. He's seen it on videos. He's got a super high-tech uh, kind of entertainment center in his little room there. He's even got a robot pal. I love his robot pal. It's practical effects. It's not CGI. Eat your heart out, Rogue One, and everyone who's tried to do robots. I love this little pathetic little robot buddy that he's got he makes fun of him constantly he's written kick me on his back and everything <laughs> love that and one of the high-tech things he has is a computer network that enables him to basically msn uh, people on earth and they, they never quite explain how this happens but he has some kind of connection with a girl in tulsa who i think is either actually called tulsa or he just calls her tulsa it's a bit strange and even though she doesn't really know who he is or where he is, he chats to her. Somehow she can't decipher. It's a video chat. She can't decipher the obvious space station-like background <laughs> of his room. And she just thinks he lives in a penthouse. He tells her he lives in a penthouse in New York. And he's got a rare disease, which means he can't come and meet her. But he'd really like to. And all that... Sorry, it's taken me a long time to get there. Because obviously what he then does is he gets really annoyed with his surrogate mother, Kendra, an astronaut on the space station, played by Carla Gugino or Gugino. He gets annoyed with her because he wants to be a proper boy. He wants to be a real boy, you know. I want to be a and, real yeah, boy. And so then Kendra wants to talk to this guy Shepard, who is Gary Oldman, who runs this thing. And he, uh, Gary Oldman's the one who basically said, look, this boy has to stay a secret. He can't come back. And she, she wants to say to him, come on, man, he's a boy. You've got to let him live. Let's hear that conversation, shall we? Yes. It begins with another scientist from NASA coming in chatting to Gary Oldman, who's wearing, you know, very stylish cardigan and tapeless like tracksuit bottoms. <laughs> he is actually dressed very much like me at this exact moment. Yes, that's right, Phil. So let's hear that. This is how you greet an old friend. If he's unannounced, yes. It's about the boy. Mr. Shepard, you have no idea how smart he is. He's being denied connection. Not to do this at this point? I'm sorry, but it, it would be inhumane. Miss Wyndham, I'm touched by your concern, I really am, but none of this matters if he can't survive. 
We've been through this. For starters, we would have to add carbon nanotubes to strengthen his bone density. It's a very complex procedure. It's, it's, it's too risky. I'm sorry. Tom, I, I can't sign on to this. With all due respect, Nathaniel, I'm not asking. I'm telling. You've been gone for 16 years. You dropped off the face of the have earth. Have you run this by NASA? NASA has always felt conflicted over this. They want to do the right thing, which this is. They want to bring the boy home. Oh, come on, Gary. Stop being such a killjoy. It doesn't matter if he dies. He needs to live a little bit. Well, you've so, highlighted... You're so horrible, Gary. Just let the boy have some fun. You have he highlighted... It doesn't matter if his bones crush and his heart fails and he dies as soon as he lands. Well, there's some debate... Bad Gary. You're scientifically so mean. ...about whether Gary Oldman's fears are actually valid or whether they're a bit over the top. And, yeah, so there's all kind of blah, blah, blah. Not a spoiler again. The boy arrives on Earth. He travels back in a space shuttle. They do it without Gary Oldman's character really knowing. Old Man Gary is not on board. He really is playing Old Man Gary as well. I love him in this film. He's so unhinged. He's got his weird Gary Oldman, slightly odd English accent going on. He's got long hair. He's wearing ridiculous designer glasses. I think he's terrific in this. It's a stupid performance, but it's a great one. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and then so the boy arrives and quickly he's just sealed off again because they're worried about all these medical conditions. This has never happened before. So they keep him under observation. They want to do surgery. They want to look after him. They, they just don't know whether he can survive on Earth or not. Asa Butterfield, incidentally, whose character is called Gardner. I don't think I said that. Let's just call him Asa. <laughs> fine, fine, fine. He can't handle that. He's like, I've come all this way. I'm not going to just stay in a sealed room, only to potentially be shipped straight back to Mars, because I'm not made for this planet. And plus, I want to go meet this girl Tulsa that I've been chatting to. I've got to go do this. So he ingeniously escapes. And it is quite a good little escape scene. And the, the reason they give is because, you know, he's been raised by scientists. So he's a sharp kid and he is sharp. And he makes his way to her. You're rolling your eyes, but it, it's, it's done better than that than you think in the film. This film sounds so stupid. He meets up with a girl and then basically you have a kind of a let's experience everything a teenage coming of age sequence where they break boundaries they break rules they steal things they go on road trips with the sole goal really of finding someone they believe might be ace's father he lost his mother in childbirth but he's got a photo he's trying to track down this dad so there's quite a lot of issues <laughs> combined into one that's he longer might be, plot than he like... might be too ill to survive he was born on mars his mum died uh, he's got a girlfriend that he's had a kind of weird long distance relationship with. He doesn't know his father. He's trying to find his father. And he's being literally chased by the government. So a lot to take <laughs> in, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but you know what, listeners? In many ways, those are all things stacked against this film. But I really enjoyed it. It really struck a chord with me. I think it is charming. I think it will absolutely nail its target demographic. It's got quite a lot of, you know, fairly unoriginal but compelling emotion in it. And really obvious scenes. As I just described, that setup just tells you exactly what you can expect, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's something in me, and I'll be honest, I think it's Asa Butterfield. I just don't like like him. I just don't like the guy. He's got a stupid face. He's got a really great face because he's perfectly cast as a slightly gangly guy who is not used to Earth's gravity. He's like a permanent child. (laughs) He's not, Phil. Come on, that's not fair. (laughs) When he walks around, like he struggles to lift his feet off the ground, then he acts that pretty well. He's got the perfect, sort of slightly gawky awkward gait and look that means he could be practically an alien I think he's perfectly cast and he does it very well I just well. don't get why this guy's in so many movies I don't know how he's had such a successful career well I guess that's why you're not in Hollywood as a casting agent film. maybe not but I, <laughs> oh. I just every single time I see him it's like box office poison in my 
individual well sets. i mean that uh, has not been disproved by this film because it has done terribly at the box office and critics everywhere don't like it but i honestly for the life of me i can't figure out why i think the production is great i think the production's amazing like the space station is brilliant i preferred it to the martian i'm not even joking about that i enjoyed it more than the martian i watched the martian again recently and i thought it was a bit boring do you not do you not think it's like just a little bit twee and a bit obvious and you could kind of predict where it's so going to go what, what part of that setup is obvious to you phil because well as in like you can it's got all these elements yes and like this random concoction it's hard to argue you probably haven't seen a film with all these elements going on but each in the individual element i think is quite well trodden you've yeah, got what, the boy what, who's what sick and he's that? in love with it's somebody a, it's basically you do that genre. already it's basically a, you've got the whole long distance relationship <laughs> do i know you no i don't oh yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe you don't maybe if you find out really about what, what i'm like you won't like me blah you've got the man who thinks he's overprotective and like does can this boy be let left off to go and do his live his life and he's like no uh-huh, he's not uh-huh. re-. like all of those things the government chasing that's like every movie ever yeah yeah all of those things you know what's going to happen what is wrong with a genre film phil i hear you defending superhero movies here we have a classic teenage sort of sci-fi romance i think it's the fact that you know what the story is going to be and the beats that the story will be so you know the framework even if the decoration is different whereas i think marvel has its format yes but actually its execution is different every single time totally disagree with you there i didn't well yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's this is where the review's gonna end isn't it yeah (laughs) look i i think phil has really hit the nail on the head in one way about how this film is being received because it sets its stall out very plainly in some ways, but I think all the rest of it is brilliant and hasn't been done like this in a long time. I mean, there's even some shots I just, I sat back and admired. Like there was one random part of it is this girl Tulsa, who's played by Britt Robertson, by the way. Uh, She is being fostered by a guy for the money and his job appears to be riding a biplane to water fields which is an odd job, isn't it? That is an odd job. And at one point, they, of course, escape in the biplane, her and Asa Butterfield. She flies it because she sort of knows how to do that. And there's a lovely scene where Asa is running away from Kendra, his scientist, you know, surrogate mother, while he's being chased down. And the camera sort of pans around so you can see her in the distance and him in the foreground. She's gaining on him. And then a plane swings in, in between Kendra and him. He has to duck under the plane and jump on. I think that's, that's lovely filmmaking. It was just creative and it was visually impressive and I really liked it. And you know, the thing that really got into my head while I was watching the movie is I wish this was an anime and I very rarely have that thought, but can you imagine this film being made by Studio Ghibli with all those bits of premise? Yep, I can. And funnily enough, I think as you were saying all of that, I was thinking "Mm, that does sound quite good. That does sound like "Mm, quite a nicely shot film and that does sound like quite an interesting sequence. I don't want to see Asa Butterfield do any of Phil, that. Phil, you, like, maybe I, he's your problem. And maybe he? that's the problem with everyone. That maybe he's just not very good and he's not to- very charming. No, you're totally right I about saw that. him on a, a talk show and I thought he was the dullest person I've seen since Henry Cavill. Oh, wow. So that is saying that something is quite saying a something. That's true. In your opinion, though, because I think he's really good and I know that some negative reviewers have nevertheless praised his performance and I think, I think it's strong, it's charming. And he does some, you know, quite great fish-out-of-water stuff. Do you know what it also made me think of? Is that ridiculously terrible sounding film, Swiss Army Man? 
How? How? Well, because it uses someone who is unfamiliar with culture, right? And this is the thing that teenagers love, isn't it? It's analysing themselves as if from apart from themselves. Because Asa Butterfield comes down and has why? no experience of teenage kids in school. He's like... Why do we the... kiss? What's? Why do we push our lips together? But there is a scene that's almost like that. Almost like that, except it's free from hipsters, <laughs> basically. This is like Swiss Army Man if it was made by actual people rather than uh, scarf in, indoor scarf-wearing idiots. Um, <laughs> I wear scarves indoors sometimes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay. Well, I, feel, I feel like we've reached a problem point in our review <laughs> where I'm unable to proceed because of our disagreements. So anyway, listeners, I think this film is actually charming. I had tears in my eyes, I'll freely admit it. I think it goes to some places I was slightly surprised by for a teenage film, but they were justified ultimately in context. I think it looks beautiful, it has really original ideas, and I don't think it shirks any of its responsibilities. Don't go in looking for science, don't go in looking for something edgy or gritty or dark, Go in knowing exactly what this is. It's a teen movie. Yeah. What's the grade? Uh, and what's the what's the certification as well? I'm curious. PG, which I, I think is interesting. I mean, the fact that really early in the film, a woman dies, you know, being frozen, rigid <laughs> in childbirth. Oh, it's quite horrible to watch. You know, it's like that scene in Downton Abbey, if you've been watching any of Downton mm, Abbey. Nope. Okay. Uh, so I, I think children will find it quite intimidating. But I also believe they will be endlessly swept away by the emotion and they'll totally identify with the two protagonists. I think Asa Butterfield and the girl have pretty good chemistry given the fact that he's playing like an alien and she's playing a street smart girl. I thought the dial- her dialogue in some places was awful but I don't think that was her fault. I think, I think it was screenplay wasn't tight enough. The dialogue sounds bad and hackneyed. Anyway, the grade I'm going to give it Phil. You'll hate me for saying so. I'm going to give it an A minus. Shut the f- I, I really, I really, really enjoyed myself. Shut and your I thought, face. I thought Shut your face. That's Gary, ridiculous. Especially Gary I'm Oldman. Over you. This is not true. I refuse to Especially accept Gary it. Oldman being in it. I thought he committed so over, in such an over-the-top way. I feel he and I would what agree on the film. What are you talking about? So, uh, that's how I an felt. A minus. So, look, I can't deny my feelings. Oh, my god. That gosh. is one thing I shall never do. I think this is pre-pregnancy delivery I'm not emotional <laughs> I think you're tired and you're stressed out and you're you're thinking I don't think you're thinking clearly at all fine well there we go there's a nice disclaimer that I didn't I'm going to hold this over your head when I finally see this film and say what are you, you talking yeah, but about you didn't like Ace of Butterfield so you're you know, in a bad camp already do you want to hear some bonuses yes 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 okay I've got a few here write a little list there's a nice scene where the robot says hug it out homie made me chuckle better joke than any in Rogue One there you go really great fake NHS-esque slogan in the gym on the space station which says this don't use all your muscles only the ones you want to keep i love that it's such a mummy-ish phrase do you get it it's because on mars unless you use the muscle it's going to waste away right phil come on man uh quick note motorcycling without helmets still not cool don't do it kids <laughs> fantastic final one here really awesome little action shot from gary oldman don't see that too often he's riding he's riding in a van hanging out of the side door which is quite cool he's chasing down the biplane and then when it all goes wrong he, he gets thrown out of the door and does like a commando roll across the, the landing strip and i just look way to go old man sounds like <laughs> catch awesome. the pigeon or something there we go phil and it's all i had to say well can i add something quickly at the end i feel i might add this because i'm worried people might think less of me in my little outburst at you i said shut the and i was gonna say shut the front door just to clarify it's important for a family rated podcast it's very important i wasn't gonna say anything else whatsoever is that just in case but i, can't I stopped it out? <laughs> yeah mm. i just i i stopped myself because i wanted to hear what you were gonna say and then i was worried that people would draw the wrong conclusions why don't you go pat yourself on the back <laughs> 
Bernard Face Cheese. Is that your real name, man? Thanks for supporting us on Patreon, uh, Anne. ba 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 it's emails, man. Emails! So many emails and tweets to get through, I think. Let's have a look. Hello! Why is there anything here? Hello, anyone? anyone? Anybody? anybody? Did you, have you opened the right box? Yeah, I have. Oh. Listen, we're only joking. There are a few emails and tweets, but it's strangely enough, it's almost as if people have better things to do during half term. Yeah, and it's been Valentine's Day. Like people, <laughs> people aren't yeah. interested in listening to the show. Surprisingly, yeah. we're very unusually listeners. We've not had very many emails this week, but we do have a few. So you lucky few, get ready for some extra attention, which I'm sure you're <laughs> delighted with. Let's start with Twitter. And this is going back a little bit as well, because I missed these out in previous episodes. One from Stephen that we forgot to say. Really enjoyed Hacksaw Ridge and my first cinema experience in Leicester Square. A brutal depiction of war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I very much agree. That, that'd be a good one to see on a really, really big screen. It'd be very overpowering. He says, I'd call it brutally real, except I don't know what real war actually looks like. Fair enough. I think it's like what you, you said, f- isn't it? We, we, yeah, like it's, it's, so you can't really get into the mindset of what it actually would be like. But I guess any sort of film which makes you feel the horror and the intensity and the just the chaos of it, I think, is effective. And that's something which I think Axel Ridge did really, really well. It's just the sort of insanity of it because you don't even know what's going on or yeah, who yeah, you're yeah. shooting at. You can't see anything. I thought that was t- like genuinely quite terrifying no i completely agree phil and uh, and alistair got in touch said the same thing saw Haxel ridge at the weekend and loved it one of the best war movies and great to have mel back on top form loved it mm, very much agree i said i'd uh, read these out because i missed them last week angeline and cal got in touch angeline says ha 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 mick drop <laughs> made me laugh alone in my car for at least a minute <laughs> uh cal says oh dear oh dear laurie minus one for the mick drop what i want to say to everybody <laughs> And I nearly actually took a screenshot of this and put it on Twitter. Is if you search for Mick Drop on Google or Mike Drop on Google, the spelling is M I C. Yeah, but everyone knows it's because it's shortening a microphone. Isn't I it? didn't know that, Phil. I read it as like, I said it as I read it. Mick Drop. <laughs> I said it as I read it. Hey, can you turn up the Mick? Turn up the Mick. Turn up the Mick. That's a song, isn't it? Nope. All right. The Ultimate Picture Palace got in touch, cinema that we're big fans of. Uh, and they say, at Super Betty Bros, fair to say your audio description for Julieta. Uh, was a lot better than your Tony Erdman. Sorry, chaps. Yeah, you weren't so good on the the uh, Tony Erdman. Strangely, I think it's I quite thought a I did dramatic. a better job. But <laughs> no, right. no, I think I think you need to be in character. I, I can be dramatic, Phil. I can be re- so next, dramatic. Next time, you give give me something to say right now, and I'll show you how dramatic I can. I be. want you to say the balloons aren't there. We need to go find some more. How do I feel about that? You're Come panicked. Direct, direct panicked. I'm panicked. You're the panicked. balloons aren't there. We need to go find some more. Yeah. The balloons aren't there. We need to find some more. Let's go. <laughs> that's terrible. All right, let's keep moving. I didn't realise you were playing yeah. Harry Potter. Yeah, I'm, I'm good at that. I'm like a D Daniel Radcliffe, oh, for sure. Oh, quite. Oh, woohoo! All right, let's keep moving. Esther got in touch. This is going badly, isn't it, Phil? We're a bit hysterical, I feel. Mm. At Super Baby Bros, watched 71 last night. Are you familiar with this film? This stars Jack O'Connell. Correct. Ex of Skins, and he was also in Money Monster recently, and he's playing, is he a British Army member lost in the streets of Dublin or something? I believe so, yep. That's right. Uh, in 1971. She says, very good. So much tension in the music. Uh, can you name any happy films set in Northern Ireland? Yeah, definitely. Um, Sing Street. That's set in the South, Phil, oh, as dear. is the film. No, Lee no, Pierre. don't put that in, don't put that well, in. Well, that's the, I mean, one of the tricky, th- I can't think of that many films set in Northern Ireland. Unfortunately, a lot of them are set around troubles and things. So I did start watching a film recently, which is about the famous 
protesters who died in prison in the Mays prison in Ireland because they wanted a United Ireland I think it was I can't remember the guy's names but they starved themselves to death starring Michael Fassbender have you come across that film is that Hunger yes right that is Hunger it Steve was McQueen. so depressing I had to start, turn it off I couldn't, couldn't have you seen it. any of the other Steve McQueen films though no I don't oh, well maybe remind me again what he he's did done. Shame and 12 Years a Slave so no not exactly it's happy. not my kind of movie then. Yeah, yeah not yeah, happy maker. ones but uh, he's a talented filmmaker Steve McQueen I imagine Hunger, I haven't seen it, but... It's very brutal and realistic, you know, the stuff that I saw. So the answer to that, Esther, is no, but I can't think of that many films set in Northern Ireland. We will hunt them down and provide you with a bold as brass, hilarious rom-com or something. But if listeners know of anyone, please tell us. <laughs> uh, she carried on, still discussing 71 over brunch, must have really loved it. Yeah, I suspect so. Stephen got back in touch to say, remember the Titans? Brilliant film. Yes, 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 yes. And that is what we've been watching of a few weeks back now. Yeah, do check those out. Those, uh, we did our final one for a little while. Uh, you can have a look, have a listen. It's all there and you can go back and listen. Even if you haven't watched it, you feel free to email in and just comment because it's all films that are old. So it's not like there's a time part to it. That yeah, and we really put a lot into that last episode as well. So yeah, do check that out if you can, listeners. We had a lot of fun. We want to know your thoughts on stuff like A Knight's Tale and Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. Uh, Alistair got in touch again to say, I've seen Batman, saw Batman Lego with the kids, and here you go, Phil, instant validation for you. I loved it with all the in-jokes about the world of Batman, but most of it passed the kids by. Well, there you go. I feel validated. That's exactly what I said. Well I done. do, I do, I do. Genuinely, I feel, I feel relieved. Is that a plus one then? I suppose it is, Phil. Well done. Uh, an email from Cal. He says, hi again, chaps. I think Phil, and this is quite serious email listeners and a good one as well. He says, I think Phil has hit on a bit of a point with his review of loving. It's a bit of a running uh, point of contention amongst my friends. That I'm not a fan of films that are based on true stories. I have a tendency to find they lean one of two ways. Either they're boring or they're dramatized to the point of actually it's no longer the story that actually happened, i.e., exactly the difference between loving and hidden figures uh interesting see captain phillips and the imitation game it's the latter with which i have an issue i'd happily watch a drama that's loosely based on real life events but it's almost offensive to place that title card at the beginning say based on a true story when the film ends up going in an entirely different direction to the actual event and that one is interesting because i've chatted to a few people about the imitation game which by all accounts is a good film and actually does make the whole maths aspect sound quite exciting it does yeah that's right um but there are some obvious differences i think one one of the key things that frustrates people is that uh, Turing is presented as the sole genius uh, who changed everything mm. when that wasn't really the case. And there's another sequence in there where they willingly allow someone's brother to be killed, don't they, on a, a because ship. Because they can't give away the fact that... Exactly. And there's a lot of contention about the historicity of that. And I, I do slightly agree with you there, Cal. It, it's a funny thing, isn't it? I think filmmakers have a very tough task ahead of them. Anyway, he carries on. We'll come back to this. But actually, before you get onto that, before you move on... I thought what was really interesting about your review on denial is there is a sense in which history, any sort of history, is a version of the truth, isn't it? It's a, it's a, yes. it's a writing of this is the narrative, this is what it means, this is what it happens. And actually, our films, do they have license, basically, to kind of put their own narrative of what happens and isn't all history based on a true story? Yeah, no, that's fair, Phil. And that's one of the things, isn't it? You learn that in school. Different narrators and different historians have different bias. And the whole point of being a historian is learning how to cut through 
bias in multiple sources to arrive at something approaching the truth definitely let me carry on with cal's email and also the speed he says of which the event happens in the film dramatization seems to be getting shorter and shorter for example Deepwater horizon which you saw um, yeah a very recent film and uh, a good film but it's a very recent event is that kind of what he's talking about much like sully sullenberger well that's exactly what he then says as in sully was not long ago and now all of a sudden we've got a dramatization about it and i, I see what you mean because he says it's uh, not respectful in a, in a roundabout way i sort of know what you mean there because what you're doing is rather than letting the story speak for itself you instantly dramatize it to make a film about it and then that becomes the definitive version of the story and that's the sort of worry i think it's tempting to get really concerned about that sort of thing cal i think a lot of people especially now the internet's around are very good at then checking out the real story afterwards and most people are aware that what they're seeing is entertainment and a dramatization to engage you with the story in a way that maybe the dry facts can't but I do agree there are some problems with it. I have major issues with period dramas for this reason, actually. And it's a segment. Part of the reason, uh, listeners, I mean this out because Cal says maybe we didn't want to read this because it's too ranty. No, no, we love the ranty emails. Uh, part of the reason I'm reading it out is I'm very keen to do a section with our writer friend Russ on the way that uh, biographies and historical things are adapted into film. And we'll take all of this into account. So watch the space, basically. Exactly. Thanks very much, Cal, for the email. And he does put a nice little silver lining on this where he says, on the other side of this is the It Man films in recent memory with Donnie Yen, based on a real person, but in no point does it ever claim it's based on a true story. And that allows it to be as fantastic as That's it almost likes. like a legend, isn't it? The legend yeah, of I love Ip those Man. films as well. It Man, number one, is brilliant. And the Pixel Bro got in touch to say, great episode with three films, which turned out to be not that great but handled with good caged but eloquent frustration. Not sure I can give plus ones having not yet seen any of those films, but I was persuaded by some of your analysis of the overall concepts. It gave me the idea of worst concept for the rewards. This is just an example, listeners, of the kind of categories we're getting, perhaps with a subcategory of worst concept but best execution, with the social network as a nominee based on its inclusion in what we've been watching. Yeah, I agree. It's a face it movie sounds stupid, one of the one of my favorite films i think yeah i think that's a great category there pixel bro and listeners let us know if you can think of a film that has a terrible concept like why did you decide to make a film about that that either turned out terribly or turned out brilliantly despite the terrible concept we'd love to hear it and there we go that's everything well you say that's everything that's actually quite a lot wasn't it i mean, was this just us catching up with all those bits we missed basically well yeah that was it so has it been know, a rather fortunate the tumbleweedy event? gag was not really appropriate yeah and, and i've actually had to shelve some for another email <laughs> <laughs> section as well oh, dear. so uh, entirely inappropriate yeah there we go Thanks very much to those who have emailed in. It's great to hear from you. And do email in if you've got thoughts on any of the things we've been chatting about over the last few weeks. There's still time. Don't worry, you haven't missed the boat. If you want to comment on Oscar films that have long gone, la la land, blah, 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 all those sort of things, get in touch, superbaileybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbaileybros. That's right. Keep your broads, categories coming in and next week we will read out as many categories as we can and we'd love to have your nominations for films that should win or be at the top of that list. That's it. <laughs> How do you feel the episode's gone this week, Phil? Yeah, it's been an odd one. A weird mix of uh, different tones of movies, I think. Yeah, that's right. And a really bizarre IMDb joke section yeah. in the middle. It feels slightly surreal, like uh, a bit zany. A bit like Lego Batman. Sort of odd oh, all over the place. Nice but segue, hopefully Phil. fun nonetheless. And as we just repeated in our email segment, listeners, let us know all your thoughts. If you've been to see any of those movies, we'd love to hear what you think about Lego Batman or Hidden Figures or The Space Between Us. I'd especially like to know if you enjoyed The Space Between Us. I have a feeling you're the only one who's gone to see it. 
because everyone knows it's rubbish. It's got 17% on Rotten Tomatoes, and part of the reason I was so You didn't mention that in your review. No, of course I didn't, but, uh, but actually I'm happy to mention it now because I want people to consider challenging that critical verdict because I think that's, that's not right, not fair. Mm, I think people know what they want to see, man. You can't say they're wrong for knowing what they want to see. Well, I really enjoyed it, so I am one of the 17%. How about that? <laughs> Hashtag 17%. <laughs> uh, all right, listeners, we'll see you again next week as long as the baby has not arrived for me and we'll be doing The Great Wall, which I am personally enormously excited about. Yeah, I'm weirdly excited for it as well. I don't know what it's going to be. I, I fear it might be a train wreck. In a good way. Also, Fences, Denzel Washington and yes. Viola Davis. I'm really interested in that She's, film. She's uh, nominated as well, Best Supporting Actress, isn't she? Yes, she is. And uh, it's based on a play which Denzel and her worked on. She nominated for Best Director too? I don't think he is director. Oh, is he Yeah, not? It's, I think there's a couple of interesting things. So listen out for that one. We'll both uh, try and get all the big movies. There's quite a few movies coming out, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. We, what film I might do, actually, listeners, is a bit of an inside back behind the scenes, is we might even go and see some stuff tomorrow and record it tomorrow. So we're super fresh. Super fresh. Imagine. Okay, have a great week. Have a great weekend. Have a lovely time. Oh, for goodness sake. Bye. Bye-bye. Phil, I have a bonus for you that I've actually already tried out in a social situation and it didn't go very well. But I have a feeling you might be on board with it. Are you ready for this? Uh-huh. What does the word hello mean? Hello is, is a greeting. That's not a meaning, Phil. Words hello, have meanings, hello. Then. Would you agree that generally words mean But you something? know where hello came from, right? No, tell me. It was, it was the word designed to... It might have been ahoy. Ahoy might have been the greeting. You're talking about the telephone, aren't you? Yeah, telephone, yeah. They, apparently that was the word that was designed so that you could say something on the telephone. Still, what is the meaning of the word hello? Hello means... Hi, it means hello. Phil, come on, man. What does it mean, that word? I think it means uh, good day to you, sir. Exactly. That is what it means, isn't it? That it represents, it has taken the place of good day or good morrow. Good but morrow. then even if you say the word the phrase good day or good morrow, that in itself is not a sentence. <laughs> it's a greeting, isn't it? I Phil, don't... come on, Nick, come on, just expand it. What's good day a shortening of? Good day. Have a good day. I hope you have a good day. I hope you have a good day. Or I bid thee good day, sir. <laughs> I bet they could morrow fight, sir. Isn't it strange that when you say hello to someone, that's the sort of origin of all this stuff. The fact that we use a greeting in it at all, is that that's how it used to be. I wish you a good day, sir. It becomes hello. Is that is that interesting or is that bizarre? I think it's, it's just a bit, bit bizarre. It's, it's, I, I mean, it's like um, you get into really strange things about why is it that clapping is, is seen as a, a supportive thing? But that's I'm going to whack I'm, my hands together. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> but that's slightly different because language normally has a direct meaning, doesn't it? Words represent something. Because then I thought the same thing about the, the phrase thank you. What does that mean? <laughs> Thanks. That's not a complete sentence. It's like, I appreciate you, isn't it? <laughs> I thank you, sir. <laughs> why why don't we say the I? Why don't we just chop that off? Why I do we say you. Is that what you're bothering? The, the shortening, the brevity of it all. Because check this out. And then I also found myself thinking, and you'd bring up the telephone because it made me think, well, maybe ring, ring is like a question. <laughs> Maybe, maybe when the phone rings, it's like, is anybody there? <laughs> so next time you hear your phone going, it's asking you, are you there? Are you there? And you can say, hello, yes, I am. Have a good day. <laughs> Basically, Phil, this is just running around my head after a long meeting yesterday. And, good meeting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ring, ring. Is anyone there? <laughs> hello? Hello. Hello. Here it is, talking time, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I found it a bit too concerned. Well, it, it was it was an odd story to tell because it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you can listen to it last week. Sorry, I'm not doing a good job. But yeah, I do, let me let me do this again. I don't know how he's had such such a success.
I don't know how he's had such a... Uh, what about uh, Sunshine on Leith? Where's Leith? Scotland, man. <laughs> really bad this is all going to go into notices I'm making sure no I'm going to put it I'm, I'm speaking out away from the microphone so that you can't put it it's in it's too late man it I got it already 